0: Amen. Good morning, church. Woohoo! Fall is here, right? I'm really thankful because last winter I upgraded my wardrobe and uh, bought a lot of warm clothing, right? And then, like a month later, it got hot. And it got really hot right? And it stayed hot. Did you notice that? This summer was just really hot, it seemed like. But anyway, I couldn't wear any of the new clothing I bought, so I was back to my old rags. And uh, now it's turning fall and winter again, so I can pull out all the smooth duds I bought, you know? So I'm really excited about that, right? Plus, it feels, there's just something comforting about preaching in like a fleece or something, you know? It just kind of holds you together, right? Like you're afraid all your parts are just going to kind of ooze out when you're up in front of people, but, but a fleece holds it all together. You're like, that's gross, Matt. Stop talking about that. Um <laughs> Hey, you know what? I was thinking out here this morning, why don't you just take a second and turn to your neighbor and just share something good that God did in your life maybe this past week. Just something good that happened that you would say, man, to give, give God the glory for that. So go ahead. You got like 30 seconds. Go. Go. All right. All right. Well done. Man, y'all are such good students. That was, uh, that was really just buying me some time so I could figure out what I was going to say up here. Uh, but no, I'm just kidding. God is good, right? God is good all the time. And um, you know, what, I, what else is really good is this book, this book of Romans that we've been living in the last few weeks. And I would have said, I mean, okay, so I'll just let you, guess what book I would have told people was my favorite book of the Bible prior to us doing this Roman series. What, what do you think? Actually, Song of Songs, but um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Those of you that are it are like, Woo right? No, no, Philippians would have been what I would have said. I would have said Philippians. I love the letter of Philippians. But um, honestly, the more I've lived into Romans, the more I've been like, man, this, there's really just some Excellent stuff in here, right? So we're just going to dive right in this morning. Um, For those of you that haven't been with us for the last several weeks, uh, you may not know it. We're in Romans, Romans, letter written by Paul, Apostle Paul, maybe you've heard of that guy, Uh, wrote a lot of letters to a lot of people. Uh, But he wrote to the church at Rome, right? And he wrote to give them some apostolic instruction because uh, the Romans had not received that. Um, They're kind of on their own. Paul had himself not had an opportunity to visit Rome. Um, So he writes to the church in Rome. And in Romans 1, I've read it every week, and I said I was going to read it every week, and I'm going to continue to read it every week. Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul states the theme of his letter, and he says, "'For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith.'" Right? Right? So Paul spends the majority of chapters 1 and 2, which we looked at several weeks ago now, presenting the overwhelming evidence of man's sinfulness. And then after all the bad news about sinfulness and God's condemnation, Paul delivers the good news beginning in chapters 3 through 5. The good news is that God brings salvation to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, making them right with God. And then in chapters 6 and 7, Paul addresses the real struggle that we have with kind of our sin nature. But he maintains that we have no obligation to succumb to it, right? The church is encouraged by Paul to live by the Spirit and to bear fruit according to their new identity in Christ. And then in chapter 8, which we looked at last week, Paul reminds the believers in Rome that there is no condemnation, that they are more than conquerors and that nothing in all of creation can separate them from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? So today we're going to kind of continue on. We're actually going to cover uh, three chapters throughout the course of the morning, and that's chapters 9, 10, and 11. And so we're going to jump right in, but we're not going to jump in right at verse 1. We're actually going to jump in in verse 30 of chapter 9. So Paul says this. He asks a question. He says, What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith, but Israel who pursued a law of righteousness has not attained it? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, Paul writes. So, what Paul's doing here is he's teaching that it's not the natural children that are God's children but rather children of the promise. So what does that mean, natural children? What he's saying is it's not about where a person is born. It's about a person being born again. Right? So this past Wednesday night, we had our uh, mob meeting, which sounds really odd if you don't know what that is. Um, That's our middle school ministry here. And we call it mob not because they are a bunch of gangsters who could at any time take me out, although I'm pretty sure they could. They are middle schoolers. Um, But we call it mob because a mob is a name for a group of sheep, right? And we are all sheep of the great shepherd, which is God. So anyway, that's why we call it that. But we're in mob and we're talking and we're kind of just like rolling through some terms, some spiritual language that we use. Because I want to bring some clarity to some of them. Because we we use these terms like born again, right? And people are like, what does that mean, right? Like crawling back in my mother's womb? That's weird, right? So anyway, we're clearing that up. But we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. We're going to talk about what it means to be saved, right? There's another churchy word, another Christian word that we use. In fact, there was a movie a few years ago, I think with like Lindsay Lohan called like Saved or something like that, wasn't that? Did anybody anybody see that movie? Yeah, don't. All right, so just like every other Lindsay Lohan movie, it was quality. Um, The promise (laughs) comes through faith in Christ, not by works of the law. Paul uses the examples of the Israelites who pursued righteousness by the law without obtaining it, and the Gentiles who pursued it by faith and obtained righteousness through Jesus Christ. He gives a sobering call that faith in Christ alone saves us. So, you know, do you think maybe this was a big deal for the believers of the day? I mean, by now in chapter 9, I'm starting to be like, Paul, we get it, right? We got it, okay? Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We got it, right? It's not by works. It's not by keeping the law, right? But it's obvious that this was a big deal, Because he just continues to reiterate the same thing over and over and over again. Being a Jew doesn't save anyone. We are saved by grace through faith. Well, I'm pretty certain that if Paul were here today, that he might say something very similar. Maybe even something like this. I'll stop talking when you start listening right? I'll stop talking when you start listening. Maybe some of you have felt that way as a parent before, right? Like you're saying the same things over and over and over again, and finally your kid's like, yeah, I get it, right? And you're like, really? Well, I'll stop talking when you start listening, when you start doing what I'm saying, right? The Jews had a worthy goal for sure, to honor God. They just went about achieving the goal the wrong way, They tried to achieve it by rigid and painstaking obedience to the law. Many of them became more dedicated to the law than they were to God. The Jews failed to see that that the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, taught that salvation was by faith and not by human effort. And if we're not careful, the same thing may one day be written about us. In fact, if the uh, Apostle Paul were to write us a letter, it might sound something like this. And we kind of have a cute little thing there, H-U-M-C, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, okay? This isn't blasphemous, I promise. But listen to this. Dear Christians at Anderson Hills, I love your dedication. You work so hard to please God. You try and be good spouses, good parents, good employees, and just good people. But know this, not one of you, by working hard, can earn favor with God. Right standing with God is offered freely by grace through faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. So stop. Stop adding time with God to your checklist of things to get done. Stop looking past the one who created you the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. Stop attending worship out of a sense of obligation and start worshiping whenever the opportunity presents itself because you recognize that a holy father is worthy of worship. I know you were brought up Methodist or Baptist or Lutheran or Presbyterian or Catholic, but what I need is for you to be sold out to the Savior, Jesus Christ unashamed of the gospel. You have pledged your allegiance to the church to the point of becoming more dedicated to the church than you are to God himself. And that is not good. Learn again what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You have such an incredible opportunity. The community is primed and ready there are those among you who may or may not have grown up in the church, but as you may have already noticed, they are in love with Jesus. Don't be intimidated by them. Watch them, learn from them, and together you will discover the freedom and life that can only be found in the Spirit of God. Amen. Paul says as much concerning the Israelites in Romans chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 4. He says this, brothers, my sister, or brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And then we skip ahead a few verses um, to verse eight. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then in verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So get this, church salvation is as close as our own lips and our own heart that's how close it is to us so close we talk about this word saved are you saved did you get saved right saved from what well saved from sin saved from death and saved from eternal separation from god Salvation is as close as our lips and our heart. At times, we live our lives as if it was millions of miles away. But it's not. By confessing with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. And by believing this in our hearts, we are saved. Nothing more, nothing less. Christ is the end of the law so we can be justified and made righteous by faith in Jesus alone. Faith comes by hearing the gospel message and responding to it. So do you want to be saved this morning? Do you want to be saved from sin? Do you want to be saved from death, which is the wage of our sin? Do you want to be saved from eternal separation from God, which is a place that we call hell? If so, then repent. Turn away from your sin. Ask for God's forgiveness. Confess Jesus as your Lord. Put him on the throne of your life and believe your faith and your trust in him. If you will do these things, then as Paul writes, you will be saved. I love this in Romans 10 because it doesn't say that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raises from the dead, then you might be saved. You can be saved. You should be saved. It says you will be saved. Paul writes in Romans 10 verses 11 through 13, he says this, as the scriptures say, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For if everyone who calls on the name or for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. Right? This is good news. We've been hearing good news for several chapters now, but this is just more of it. This is good news. I mean, at times the the gospel can seem exclusive, and, and to some degree it is. I mean, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's kind of an exclusive statement. I mean, what Jesus is saying is, is I'm not God's plan A, B, or C. I'm God's plan A through Z. You understand what I mean? right? Jesus doesn't say, I am a way, I am a truth, I am a source of life. Oh, no. As the scriptures say in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which a man must be saved, right? So what does this mean? It means, like it or not, other religions, other world religions are mistaken. They're misinformed. They're misled. Lately, our culture has fallen in love with Buddhism. That's what I've found working with youth. Buddhists seek to reach a state of nirvana following the path of of Buddha, whose real name was uh, Siddhartha Gautama, who went on a quest for enlightenment around the 6th century BC. And in Buddhism, there's no real belief in a personal God. There's there's just following the eightfold path of Buddha. And, And folks, that won't cut it. I mean, this world is searching far and wide for its theology. And the Christian search begins and ends with Jesus Christ. So for the love of all that is good, church, stop telling people, oh, that's karma. We don't believe in karma, right? That's not our teaching. That belongs to Buddhism. So keep it there, okay? Now, listen, I don't want you to think I'm picking on Buddhism, right? Right? Because none of those other world religions are going to lead you to life. None of those other religions are going to lead you to a right relationship with God. I know there are those out there who practice universalism. Oh, we're going to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. We're going to kind of put it all together. And that's sort of our belief, right? Hmm. Slippery slope. Salvation is through one man. And that one man is Jesus Christ. Now, again, at first glance, this may sound very exclusive. But here's the beauty of the gospel, folks. At the same time that that sounds exclusive, it is also incredibly inclusive. Because if you'll remember, Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, that doesn't get any more inclusive than that. But you've got to find your way to Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is good news. But lest you think there is nothing left to be said or done, listen to what Paul writes in verses 14 through 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now I'm here to tell you this morning, there is nothing beautiful about my feet. It's been about 10 years ago that I took a bunch of students up to a place called the Underground over in Fairfield for a concert. The name of the band, Kids in the Way. And all they did the whole concert was scream. Right? It was a Jesus thing, I think. I really have no idea what they were saying. But some kids that I was with had worked their way up to the front, and by hold, there was a man there in cowboy boots. Who wears cowboy boots to a Kids in the Way concert? And I was in flip-flops. And he stepped on my big right toe and ripped my big right toenail right off. It was so funny. I went back to the first aid station, and I'm like, do you guys have, like, anything for a bloody toe? And they're like, you need, like, a Band-Aid? I like slapped my foot up on the counter. She was like, ah, right? They wanted to call me an ambulance. It was crazy. What, where was I going? Oh, beautiful feet. So there's nothing beautiful about my feet, right? There's probably nothing beautiful about your feet. How many of you have a foot fetish? Like, get away from me, people, with your feet, right? Like, your husband's like, honey, rub my feet. And you're like, never, right? I mean, to death do us part, okay, but not rubbing your feet. That wasn't in the vows, right? But Paul says here, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You see, there's a lot of people out there who aren't going to hear the good news unless we carry it to them, right? Unless we take it, unless we transport it. Paul's like, Jesus is the answer to the question, the solution to the problem, the cure to the disease. So we need to get his name out there. As I said a few Sundays ago, if you had the cure to cancer, you would share it with every doctor, every nurse, every surgeon, and every scientist from here to China. But we have the cure to sin and death, and we won't even share it with our neighbors, The world is in need of freedom, redemption, hope, renewal, restoration, forgiveness, peace, joy, love. The world is in need of salvation through Jesus Christ. And everything that the world needs, the church has in Jesus, but we have to be willing to share it with the rest of the world. This is precisely the argument that Paul is making in chapters 9 through 11. Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus Christ. And then Paul writes, if we turn the page to chapter 11, verse 1, this is the New Living Translation because I just like the way it reads. says, I ask you then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself, Paul says, "is is an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. And then he says later in verses 11 and 12, he says, again, I ask, did they, the Israelites, stumble as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? And then in verses 25 through 29, Paul writes this. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written: "The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob." And this is my covenant with them: when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and His call are irrevocable. So, so what is Paul saying here? That's a lot of words, right? What he's saying is that although Israel as a whole rejected Jesus as the Messiah, there is still a remnant chosen by grace. Their dismissal of Jesus has blessed the world because salvation, that salvation message was then opened to the Gentiles. However, they, the Israelites, have not fallen beyond recovery. And in the end, there will be Israelites who are saved through faith just as Gentiles are. God's plan now includes bestowing mercy upon all mankind. Again, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul had a vision of a church where all Jews and all Gentiles would be united in their love of God and in their obedience with Christ. While respecting God's law, this ideal church would look to Christ alone for salvation. A person's ethnic background and social status would be irrelevant. What mattered would be a person's faith in Christ. So I don't know about you, but this is the same vision that I have for the church today. My prayer is that all people would be united in their love for God and in their obedience to Christ Jesus. My prayer is that all people would look to Christ alone for salvation. My prayer is that the church would spread the same truth to anyone and everyone who was willing to listen. What if this is what the Apostle Paul's letter to Anderson Hills sounded like? And now, because you were finally willing to set aside your petty differences... Because you were able to focus your attention on that which matters most. Because you loved me first and loved others also. And because of the amazing grace of God at work and the life of all the believers at Anderson Hills United Methodist Church, there is unity. There is healing. There is restoration. There will be many more mighty and miraculous works done in your midst. Just wait and see. Wait and see what the Lord will do. Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. All praise be to God. Amen. Right? Man, I want to be a part of that. you want to be a part of that? Let's pray for that right now. God, we just, we want to pray, Lord. We want to pray over this church, over this body of people. God, this church is not bricks and mortar. This church is hearts and minds. God, we are gifts and we are passions and we are talents and we are resources. And we are humbled to be in your presence today. God, we just pray that you would do a, a work of unification, God, that you would unify us to our very core. God, that you would unify traditional and contemporary, that you would unify old and young. God, that you would unify rich and poor, that you would unify black and Hispanic and white. God, that you would unify us here in this body, at this time, in this season, so that, God, we can then begin to do a unifying work out in our community. God, we want to share the love and the light of Jesus Christ. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. God, we want to share the good news of salvation, that salvation through Jesus Christ is for everyone, that, God, it's a free gift. God, may we confess Jesus Christ as Lord. May we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. And may we live a life that reflects his glory and his story every single day. Bless us now as we sing praise to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.